With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Therefore, he appointed Jesus as head of the church, which is his body. And just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ and us. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and mature in the body, putting off our old selves to be made new and clothing ourselves with the full armor of God. Each part does its work until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. After three tours in Afghanistan and one tour in Iraq, he had seen the worst humanity had to offer. The chaplains at the VA, the healthcare professionals there said that he was suffering from moral injury from what he had seen and what he had done. His PTSD was raging. All he knew was between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. every day. It was as if the demons knocked down the door and came to haunt him. One morning, he'd had enough. So when the demon came knocking on the door, he opened his safe, pulled out his nine mil, went to the back of his property, and pulled the trigger. And on that day, he became yet another statistic in the 22 veterans who commit suicide each day. Behind every bad thing is a force of evil perpetuating darkness. She drove her black limousine through the, the backwoods of Cambodia. And when she pulled into this village, the people knew who she was. And they knew what her story was. She got out of the, the black limousine, well-dressed, walked into the house of the family and gave her proposal. $25,000 U.S. cash, as well as a stipend for the rest of their lives in exchange for the four-year-old daughter. She came out of the building, out of the house, holding the daughter, screaming, and on that day, that four-year-old girl entered the sex slave industry to be abused by men and women for the rest of her life and most likely to become an abuser herself. You see, behind every bad thing, there's a force of evil perpetuating the darkness. Kim Il-sung founded North Korea and his Soviet trainers had taught him to be a leader, he needed to rule with an iron fist. He needed to rule with terror, with murder, whatever he needed to do, he would do to stay in power. He ruled through labor camps, murder, execu executions, intimidation, and fear. And after a few decades, he died, passed that on to his son, Kim Jong-il. He did the same, and when he died, he passed it on to Kim Jong-un, his son. And to this day, right now, as I speak, 
there are people being killed in concentration camps in North Korea. There is murder, intimidation, and terror in that country. So Kim Jong-un and the 200 families who surround him can stay in power behind every bad thing. There's a force of evil that perpetuates the darkness. Forces of evil, principalities of darkness, God versus Satan, Satan and his demons, such is what we're going to talk about today. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Spiritual combat is real. Jesus has won the war. Our job is to stand and fight. Spiritual combat is real. There is a battle in the unseen that affects us right here, right now in the visible world. Jesus has won the war. When he was resurrected, he defeated Satan, he defeated death, he defeated sin. But until he returns, we are in combat. Who are we fighting? What are we fighting? That's what we're going to be talking about today. God's got a lot to say about that as we hit our third to the last week in our summer series on the book of Ephesians. This summer, we've been pulling apart this incredible book of Ephesians. And today, we're going to land in Ephesians chapter 6 and look at verses 10 through 18. It's a very popular passage. It's a passage on putting on the full armor of God as we fight spiritual warfare. So many of you have not been here uh, this summer. Uh, Some of you are visitors for the first time. So let me set the scene for what's going on as you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. If you go back 2,000 years ago after Jesus' resurrection, the Apostle Paul, 30 years later, writes a letter to the church in Ephesus. Now, Paul would write over half the, the, the letters in the New Testament. And he writes this letter to this church in Ephesus. And most biblical scholars believe he, that he wanted that, that letter circulated to all the churches in Asia Minor. And because God's word is timeless, it's a letter also for us. The people in Ephesus were rich people spiritually, but they didn't get that. They had forgotten that. They had forgotten that they had sufficiency in Christ. So Paul sends them this letter, and the first half is very theological and talks about their sufficiency in Christ. The second half is very practical, and it's no coincidence that just before he talks about spiritual warfare, he talks about family relations and relationships, close relationships with others. So today we're landing on Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Remember our, our, our main thought, spiritual combat is real. Jesus has won the war. Our job is to stand and fight. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's do this. Uh, let's look at verses 10 and 11. We're gonna kick it off with that. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's Schemes. So Paul says, finally, after saying all these things he's talked about through this entire letter, finally, you got to put on the full armor of God because we're in combat. And that's hard to put our arms around because Jesus defeated Satan when Jesus was resurrected. Well, this is the way I look at it. I'll use a modern day example. Uh, June 6, 1944, the Allies invade Normandy, the Allies invade Europe. It took nine months to really crush uh, Hitler's army. By March of 1945, Hitler has not, has not surrendered yet, but the war is basically over. But there are still dangerous battles going on. The same is true for us right now. Jesus has won the war, but there are battles that are happening. And until he returns, we have to be able to fight. And the thing is that we fight from a position of victory rather than for victory. And it takes more than our own strength. And the reason why is what we're fighting is bigger than what we can see. So Paul says, put on the full armor of God to take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that's an issue for a lot of us. 
So many of you want to believe that there's no such thing as a devil, that it's this nebulous force, kind of like Star Wars, the Star Wars theology that, that we believe. And, and there's this Star Wars theology, there's this force out there, there's a good side of the force, a bad side of the force, and it's the, the ubiquitous nebulous universe that we're fighting in or for. And that's not what scripture says. Jesus said that Satan is real. Jesus squared off against Satan. We believe in Jesus, and therefore there is a Satan and there is a devil. You've got God the Father revealed by the Son, Jesus, whom we get to experience through the Holy Spirit. And he's got an angelic army that's huge and good and fighting for us. And then you've got Satan and his demons, not just some nebulous force of evil. And that battle is going on. So we understand that Jesus is real. We understand that Satan is real. But here's the thing. We have to know our enemy. You have to know your enemy. So when I was 17 years old, graduated high school in May of 1981, I enlisted in the Army. Uh, the day after high school graduation, I jumped on a plane to Fort Dix, New Jersey, and that started my 28-year military career. 28 years in the military, and during those 28 years, I did my best to become, as best I could, an expert on combat and land warfare, because I knew as a soldier, I'd be leading troops into combat. One of the guys I had to study was a guy named Sun Tzu. He was a, a Chinese philosopher. He was a Chinese warrior. And 500 years before the birth of Jesus, he said these words. He said, know the enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you will never be in peril. Know the enemy. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, your enemy, the devil, the devil's real, the devil's a person, the devil's not uh, some force that's out there. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, ready to pounce on someone to take his prey. So we have to know the enemy and know what we're fighting, but we also have to know ourselves. And we have to understand that with Christ in our hearts and Christ in our lives, we have everything that we need to fight the powers of darkness. We have everything we need to stand in strength individually, but more importantly, together. So know the enemy and know yourself. So back to Paul, because he identifies specifically what we're facing. Verse 12. He says, for our struggle, our struggle, the word there really means hand-to-hand -hand combat. So our hand-to-hand -hand combat is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people fundamentally. Look what he says. He said it's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So in Ephesians 1 verse 3, he kicks it off and says, your blessings are in the heavenly realms. And then he circles back around at the end of the letter and says, but there's a battle and that battle is in the heavenly realms. And behind every bad thing that happens to us right here, there's that battle, there's that Satan and his demonic forces pushing and, and, and pushing evil to further evil's territory. Satan and his demons. Some of you are freaking out right now even talking about it. Some of you, though, are saying, yeah, he doesn't exist. Let's talk about that. Because we have to know our enemy. See, in, 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 when it comes to spiritual combat, we tend to do one of two things. We either make way too much of it or we poo-poo it off that it, it doesn't even occur. We can make way too much of it when we pull into Walmart and we're trying to get our parking space and somebody cuts us off and we say it's the demon of parking spaces that kept me from getting my parking space. You get out of your car, you got your bottle of water and you're going, be free the demon, be free the demon. <laughs> this space is clean. So we, we can make too much of it. Also, what we can do is 
when we make too much of it, we can say, the devil made me do it. The devil cannot make you do anything. So what happens is then we don't take responsibility for our sin. We don't take responsibility for the, the stupid decisions we can make. So we can make too much of spiritual warfare. Then we say, no, no, it doesn't exist at all. And then we're caught flat-footed when the enemy shows up knocking on our door. So Sun Tzu says, know your enemy. All right, let's talk about our enemies, Satan and demons. Now, I have 40 minutes to preach a sermon that should take six weeks. And so we could spend a whole lot of time on, on angelology and what that means. We don't have time today. So I'm gonna speak in some generic terms, but it's biblical, go with me on this. First of all, Satan is an angel created by God. And most biblical scholars believe his mission before God made man and woman was to rule over the earth. He was a beautiful and powerful angel and he lost favor with God because he wanted to be God. In fact, he wanted to be more powerful than God. And so when he fell because of that pride, he took with him a whole host of angels and those are called demons. Here's the thing about Satan. He's not omnipresent. He's not all present. He's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. Those are three attributes of God. He does have a countless army of demons to help him be as much as he can be in those three areas. He still has access to heaven, according to the book of Job, but at some time, God is going to end that access, and he will be put away for good. But until then, he uses his demons to steal, kill, and destroy, to, to wreak havoc in our lives. So let's talk about demons. Demons are real. Jesus fought against demons. He casted out demons from many people. Demons are evil, and demons are powerful. But here's the thing. When you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit takes up residency in you. That means that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and a demon cannot be in the same place as the Holy Spirit. It can't occupy the same territory. So what that means is you can never, as a Christ follower, be possessed by a demon. However, you can be oppressed by them because you are prime target number one because you're doing the work of Jesus. So Satan uses... His, his demons to steal, kill, and destroy. He, and, and so Paul says we're supposed to understand what the devil's schemes are. Schemes means methods, strategies. And he's got countless methods and strategies. We're gonna hit a few of those today. One of them is, is that he tries to exploit our weaknesses, to blackmail us, to pull us away from our relationship with God. Jesus said you can never be plucked from my hand, but Satan is trying to pluck each one of us out of his hand, and he uses a lot of different ways to exploit weaknesses, to exploit our past, to exploit addictions that we've, we've recovered from, to exploit our flesh, and then blackmail us and use it against us. To exploit our weaknesses, as he shows up as the, the tempter and as the accuser, and he uses God's grace as a crowbar. Go with me on this. As the tempter, he places a thought in your mind, a temptation. And he says, come on, come on, you can do this. It's no big deal. You've heard it said over and over. There's no, no sin that's too big that God won't forgive you. Just, just do it and then ask for forgiveness. It's that easy. So you cave to the temptation and then he shows up immediately as the accuser. What? I can't believe you did that. You call yourself a Christian? Wow. God will never forgive something like that. You just need to walk away, walk away from your faith because you suck. As the tempter, he shows the bait but hides the hook. As the accuser, he has his focus on our sin rather than our Savior who saves us from all the junk in this world. He causes us to look more at our sin 
rather than our Savior. So we have to know how our enemy fights, our enemy the devil. And here's a truth we can land on. The conflict in the invisible realm affects the way we live in the visible realm. The conflict in the invisible realm, the conflict in the unseen, the battle that's going on in the heavenly realms affects the way we live right here and right now. So Paul gives us as a church and individually instructions on how to fight in the next six verses. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, therefore, because there's a real battle going on, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when Satan comes knocking on your door, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. So Paul's gonna use an illustration of a Roman soldier and he would know what a Roman soldier looked like because he was chained to one. He spent a lot of his life two feet from a, a, a Roman soldier. When he was doing his missionary journeys, he saw the Roman military outworking individually as well as in large units. So he knew how they fought. So his illustration is also very familiar to the audience of Ephesus because the Romans were occupying. So he says here, you got a battle, a fight. The battle is real. Suit up and stand. And, and so then he gives us seven ways that we dress for success in the next few verses. Look at verse 14. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Okay, so let's talk about the belt. Uh, for the Roman soldier, the belt was the most important piece of equipment on his uniform. Uh, the, the belt would singe the uniform together, and the breastplate would attach to the belt as well as the sword, but it had a very practical function. In, in the wintertime, you'd have these large fur coats, so it would singe around that so you could still move around and not get the coats caught up on everything. Because everything attached to it, it was very important. So individually, it had a use. But then if you went down in combat, it also had a, a use in which a couple soldiers could grab you by the belt and pull you out of harm's way. So for us, though, he talks about how we're supposed to put on the belt of truth. The most important weapon in our arsenal is Jesus. Jesus is the belt of truth. Jesus is the belt of truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, our attitude towards Jesus determines the outcome for our life, both on this side of eternity and into the next. So Jesus is the belt of truth. 1 John 5.20 says these words. Uh, the disciple John writes this about Jesus. He says, and we know that the Son of God, that's Jesus, has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. This is eternal life. So Jesus is the truth, but here's what's cool, what's interesting about this, is right before this, verse 19, John writes these words. He says, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Another translation is, we know that, that, that the whole world is under the control of Satan or Satan has the keys temporarily to this world. So here's how this works. Jesus goes to the cross, takes on all the sin of mankind, is, is raised from the dead, and God has allowed Satan to have rule and reign over this world for a specific amount of time so we can make a choice. We can say yes to the dress and be on God's team, or we say, jam it, Jesus, I'm on my own. There's no middle ground. And so we're on the other team. 
So Jesus is the truth. Satan is the lie. And what he wants to do is everything he can to imitate Jesus. So we gotta know what truth looks like. Back in uh, 1991, May of 1991, I came out of Operation Desert Storm and my first assignment back here stateside after being in the Middle East was First Special Forces Group. I was in a, a unit of Green Berets. These guys were amazing. The best warriors I ever got to serve with in my life. I was a company commander and a detachment commander. And, and as a company commander and detachment commander of, of paratroopers, we all have warped brains. We like jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. So as a commander, you gotta go through a school called Jump Master school. Jump Master School is not a tough school physically. It's very tough mentally because you got to know how to throw people out of a perfectly good airplane correctly as well as make sure that their equipment is on correctly because if it's jacked up, uh, there's going to be a, a, a paratrooper accident. And last time I checked at 3,000 feet or 10,000 feet, if you got a problem and you're in the air, that's a bad thing. So Got to go to Jump Master School. Uh, there's an 80% failure rate in this school, and I got to make it through first time or I could be relieved of my command. So my operations sergeant, who was this great Green Beret, came up to me and said, all right, sir, here's the deal. You got to get through this school. And so if you want to get th through this school, you have to know what's right, not what's wrong. There are a thousand different ways that that equi equipment can be messed up, how actions in the aircraft can be jacked up. You got to know what's right, and, and, and it'll jump out at you. And he was right. Because of his advice, I made it through by the skin of my teeth. But the point is, is the same is true for us theologically. We got to know what's right. We have to know what the truth is. The truth is, is found in Scripture. And so when we know what's right, the counterfeits pop up and we'll recognize the counterfeit. And we got to beware of the counterfeit. We have to beware of the counterfeit. For every truth that's out there in Scripture, Satan has at least one counterfeit. And counterfeits show up in all areas of life. There's a counterfeit for what God has designed as marriage and sexuality. Pastor Bob talked about that two weeks ago. If you missed that talk, it's well worth going back and taking a look at. There's a counterfeit for intimacy. There's a counterfeit for what God says is success and what Satan says is success. So we have to be able to spot the counterfeit. That's one of, of, of Satan's lies is that he tries to come up with a counterfeit for truths. But here's another thing that he does. He takes a truth and he'll change it around just a little bit to where it's noticeable, but after a while we buy into it. Let me give you an example told by the, the late great theologian Archie Campbell from Hee Haw. It, there's a theological point to this, so I need you guys to hang with me, okay? It's a story of the P. Little Thriggs. Once upon a time, there were pea little thrigs. The first piddle came down the road, and he was widening a raggin'. He was widening a raggin'. Farmer stopped him, and he asked him what he had. He said that he had a strode of law. He was going to build his strauss out of haw, and he did. He built his strauss out of haw. Well, along came the big bad wolf. The big bad wolf said, piddle egg, piddle let me come in. Well, the first piddle said, not by the chair of my henny hen hen. Well, then I'm going to huff and puff, and I'm going to hoe your blouse down. And he did. He huffed and he puffed and he hoed his blouse down. The first piddle leg ran away. There's a theological point. Please stay with me. Second piddle leg showed up, and he was widened a ragging. The second piddle leg was widened a ragging. The farmer stopped him and asked him what he had. He said he had a stowed of licks. 
He's going to build his stouse out of hicks. And he did. He built his stouse out of hicks. Well, along came the big bad wolf. The big bad wolf said, Piddleig, Piddleig, let me come in. And the second Piddleig said, not by the chair of my henny hen hen. Well, then I'm going to huff and puff and I'm going to hoe your blast down. And he did. He huffed and he puffed and he hoed his blast down. Third Piddleig showed up, but he was smart. Now he was widened a what? A ragon. Okay, two of you are listening. Awesome. He was widened. <laughs> this is hee-haw stuff, guys. Come on. He's... He's widened a rag, and the farmer stopped him and asked him what he had. He said, he's got a brood of licks. He's going to build his brouse out of hicks, and he did. He built his brouse out of hicks. Well, along came the big bad wolf. Big bad wolf said, piddle piddleig, let me come in. And the third piddleig said, not by the chair of my henny hen hen. Well, I'm going to huff and puff, and I'm going to hoe your blast down. And he huffed and he puffed, but he couldn't hoe his blast down. So this upset the big bad wolf. He went up to the top of the roof. He came chown the dimney. And when he came chown the dimney, the pea little thrigs had a big old pot of boiling botter. And the big bad wolf fell into the pot of boiling botter. And when he did, he died. And the pigs that night, the pea little thrigs, guess what? They had wolf stew with a side of bacon, the end. Okay, so here's the theological point. Satan takes a truth, and he'll change it around just enough to where we can go, eh, that's kind of weird, but pretty soon we'll go, okay, and then we'll start buying into it to where, okay, it's not really that weird because you hear it over and over, it's done over and over again, and then you're actually participating in it. So our job as Christ followers is to know the truth the truth sets us free. The truth keeps us, uh, keeps us from doing wrong things and allows us to spot the counterfeit. So let's talk about the breastplate. For a Roman, a breastplate attached to the belt and it protected everything on the front. It was open in the back because it allowed the Roman soldier to move around. It protected all of that vital stuff. Now here's the thing, because this is a letter to individuals and to a church, that's important for us. Because we need protection not only in our front, but we need somebody to have our backs. Here at Cornwall Church, we want you to be part of a small group. We want you to be part of a quad. We want you to be part of community because you can't do this life alone. For those of you watching online, you may be sitting there and not part of a church. We want you to be part of a church because you need somebody to sharpen you. You need someone to watch your back. So let's talk about this breastplate of righteousness. It attaches to the belt of truth. So Jesus is the central thing. We, we kick around this word righteousness all the time in, in church talk, and I think it means two things. First of all, it, it means to, to be in a right standing with God, but then it also means to live right wisely. Let me walk you through that. Right standing, right wisely. Right standing with God. God creates us in his own image. He loves us greatly. He loves us dearly. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve biff it. And we can say, I can't believe they did that. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. They were tempted pretty heavily and pretty hard. So they biff it. And when they biff it, sin enters the world. So when we are born, we have sin in us. Sin nature. My, 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 uh, my grandson is 15 months old and he is perfect in my eyes. But here's the thing, 15 months old, he's now understanding that he, can, uh, that he wants things that he's not supposed to have. So he wants to get that cookie. We say no and he throws a fit. Well, that's us. All of us have that in our lives, all of that junk. So our sin separates us from God. He's a holy God, and we have to be holy to be presented in front of him. He's the only God of all the religions out there who says, enough, I love my people so much, I'm going to step down from my throne, 
and I'm going to be with my people, and I'm going to pay the price for sin myself. So he, Jesus, goes to the cross because there has to be, there has to be a price paid for disobedience. There has to be justice. And God places all the wrath of mankind on Jesus' shoulders. And he dies for our sins, past, present, future. And he's resurrected. He defeats Satan at that point. So now then, when we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we are now in a right standing with God. What that means is we have the, the ability to live right wisely. You see, God looks at us and he doesn't see junk. He doesn't see mess. He sees Jesus. He meets us despite our junk in our lives and says, I love you and I want this relationship with you. So he allows us to live right wisely, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strengths, and to love each other as we want to be loved, enter Satan. What Satan wants to do is he wants to pull us away from God through busyness, through doubts, through things of that nature. And then, on top of that, he doesn't want us loving each other. He, he wants us to attack the dignity of others. Let me give you a few examples of that. When we look down on another race, another culture, another group as those people, and we attack the dignity of their souls, Satan gets a win in the battle. When we look at rape as simply a physical or sexual assault and not an attack on the dignity of a male or a female soul, Satan gets a win in that area. When we look at abortion as simply a medical procedure and not an attack on a defenseless child's soul, Satan gets a win in that area. So God calls on us to be in right standing with him and to live right wisely. And most of the time, that means we're, we're, we're standing and fighting for the dignity of others' souls because our battle is in the heavenly realms. It's not fundamentally against people. Verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Okay, let's talk uh, about, uh, about Roman footwear. The Roman footwear for those soldiers was the best in that time, best known in that time. So the sandals or the boots, depending on what they had, had spikes on the bottom. That allowed them to go through all sorts of terrain, all sorts of, of heavy vegetation very quickly. As a unit, they could stand and fight together if they're being pushed back and those, uh, those spikes would dig into the ground so they could, they could keep place in their territory. They had shin guards that came up to the knee and it allowed them not only to go through thick vegetation, but if you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat, getting smacked in the shin could be very painful and take you out of the fight. So let's talk about Paul here. Because what he talks about for us is that we're supposed to put on gospel boots. Gospel boots. What Paul does is he goes back 700 years before the birth of Jesus to this prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah writes how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. That's the gospel. Who proclaim good news. So we're supposed to put on our gospel boots. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we put on our gospel boots and we go kick down doors and take back ter territory, find that unbeliever, kick him in the shin, put our muddy boots on their neck and say, confess, confess, so we can have a notch on our belt of truth. You see, it's the gospel of peace. And what it allows us to do when we put on the gospel of peace, we get to step into difficult conversations. We get to go to places where people attribute Jesus to an antichrist 
where people attribute Jesus to something horrific. And we get to share the joy of Jesus, how Jesus transforms your life. The hope is in Jesus, no matter how much evil you've participated in. You come to Jesus and he says, it's done. I'm washing you clean. It is done, so that's our hope. Bad things made good through Jesus who loves us. And we get the honor to put on gospel boots, to step forward, and when we do, Satan goes, oh crap, here she comes. Oh no, he's coming after me, and he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, so let's talk about the shield. The Roman soldier's shield was not like a, a frisbee-looking shield that, that Captain America has in the Marvel comics. It's not an upside-down triangle that the, the crusaders would, would use. This thing looked like a kitchen door. It was like four feet tall, two feet wide. There was a piece of wood, a piece of canvas, a piece of wood. They were cinched together by two pieces of metal, one on the top, one on the bottom. They had leather straps in the, in the back. And what would happen is it, when the fiery arrows would come, the, the soldier, if it's one soldier, could just hold up the shield, but if it's many, they'd lock shields and hold it up, and the arrows would be extinguished as they hit. Because modern, war, modern warfare of that time was you launch your fiery arrows, you kill as many as you can, you send in your infantry. So let's talk about that for us, what a shield of faith is. A shield of faith for us is knowing that Jesus has won, so we have to stand in his strength in faith. We stand in his strength and faith, and here's how the devil works to, to, to take out our faith. He says four words, asks us four words. Did God really say, fill in the blank? Did God really say that your past is done and you've got a new future when you walk with Jesus? Come on, man, just go back to the old way. Did God really say you're, you're a new creation in Christ so the old self is done, so you put off your old self and walk in your new self? Did God really say that? in the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Satan approaches Adam and Eve, and he says, did God really say not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because if you do, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be just like him. Jesus has won, so we stand in his strength and faith. And when he shoots those flaming arrows like doubts, we gotta hold up that shield of faith and we need people around us to walk us through those times when we doubt because all of us, all of us have doubts. There's a battle in the unseen that's happening right here in the scene. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, let's talk about the helmet and let's talk about the sword. The helmet was, was made of bronze or iron. It covered in the back. It had a nose piece sometimes. Sometimes it has a visor. There was a, a piece of felt on the inside. There was a big sponge and it fit on the cranium of the soldier and protected his head. And it protected his head like the breastplate would protect his heart. And Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. What he's talking about here is guard your thought life. I don't know about you guys, every time I've sinned stupidly, and I, I tend to do it more often than I like, it starts with a thought. I have a thought, and, 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 and I start ruminating on this thought, I put it in a crock pot, and it just keeps on ruminating and ruminating, and then pretty soon I get an opportunity to act on the thought, because Satan is there tempting me, but he doesn't make me do it. I make that choice, and as soon as I do it, he shows up as the accuser, saying, you call yourself a pastor? You just did that. Whew, sucks to be you. 
we have to guard our thoughts because guarded thoughts lead to godly actions. So we put on the helmet of salvation. Then he says these words, says, take up the sword of the spirit. Okay, anything can be used as a weapon. But when Paul's walking through this, this last piece that he talks about, uh, last physical piece, is the sword. The sword attached to the belt. And it was a double-edged sword. So what would happen is when you'd stab someone, if you just move it around a little bit, it would do a lot of damage. It's like our hollow point uh, bullets that we have nowadays. It goes in and just destroys everything around it. That was the double-edged sword of his time. And what he says here is we're supposed to take up the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? It's God's word, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. As we fight the forces of darkness, our main weapon now with Jesus in our hearts is God's word. You see, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit work together. Go with me on this. Give me a couple minutes, okay? Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he's in his 30s. He starts his earthly ministry. He goes down to the Jordan River. When he goes down to the Jordan River, John the baptizer is baptizing. He comes to John and says, you've got to baptize me. John says, no way. Jesus says, Yahweh. <laughs> yeah. Guys, 10 sermons I've used that joke. And, Last night at, on, the, on the, Friday, the Saturday night service, I said it, and I, and I gave it to the audience. Nobody, it was crickets, except for Pastor Bob. <laughs> Pastor Bob said, Yahweh. Okay, so he says, Yahweh. So he goes in the water. He comes up out of the water. The, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. He is sent into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tested. And he shows off mano a mano, to, to Satan. It's Jesus and Satan. Jesus defeats Satan by quoting Scripture. Don't miss this. We've got the sword of the Spirit, which is Scripture. We're not supposed to use it to schwack people with. That's not what, what we're supposed to do. You see, Paul would say that we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we get that sword of the Spirit and we turn it inward. And we get it in our mind. And through our actions, it gets into our heart so that we can become kingdom bringers. That we don't beat people over the head with the Bible. We speak to them in truth and love. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. So we take the helmet of salvation and get the word in our head. And then we take the sword of the spirit. And our lives are changed and we become kingdom bringers living right wisely and right standing with God. Okay, let's wrap it up. Verse 18. Last but not least, Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all of the saints. He's talking, when he talks about saints, he's talking about fellow believers. So Paul soaks this letter in prayer. And he says, as we get up out of bed, that we gotta, as we put on all of this equipment, we soak it in prayer too. See, prayer is how we access the heavenly places because the battle is in the heavenly places, but the blessings too are in the heavenly places. So we step into the heavenly places in prayer. We make our lives a living prayer. We make our lives a living prayer. And when we pray, it's like we're launching angelic artillery into the dark force that Satan and his demons have. So we're called to bet to dress for success. 
The best way to run away from evil, to get away, to, to, uh, to stay away from evil, to defeat evil, is run into the arms of Jesus. It's the paradox of Christianity. It's crazy. We get victory through surrender. We get victory by surrendering our lives to Jesus, that we just say, Jesus, I got so much junk in my life, I can't handle it. They say that you say that you'll never leave me or forsake me. I need you right now to walk me through this. And I trust you that you were resurrected and you can do this and you're gonna walk me through not only the time when I choke on my chicken bone, but until the time I show up right in front of you and I have eternity with you. And when we surrender, we get victory because our sufficiency is in Christ Jesus. That's the point of this letter. We're not poor beggars. We are rich with Jesus in our lives. We are strong with Jesus in our lives. And he calls on us to stand and fight because spiritual combat is real. What's going on in the unseen affects us here right now. Jesus has won the war, so we fight from victory rather than for victory. But we have to stand and fight as godly men and women of character, honor, integrity, and faith. Okay, I want to leave you guys with a challenge. Here's your challenge. Your challenge is to memorize Scripture. Specifically, memorize Ephesians 6, verses 10, 11, 12. Three verses. It's two verses a day, and you can do it in six days and take a seventh day off for Sabbath. How cool is that? And right now, someone has had Satan show up and say, I can't do that. There's no way. I'm too busy. And there are a whole slew of excuses. So I need you to repeat after me. Here we go. Jesus wept. Oh, come on, guys. Jesus wept. One more time. Jesus wept. That's John 11, verse 35. Take that, Satan. That's right. You just memorized scripture. Boom. Mic drop. Walk away. Okay. In your app. In your link, we've got three resources for you to help you memorize scripture. Get it in your mind. Get it into your heart. This is the way you truly fight evil and stand and fight.